0: Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated Good Beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you're here, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers@gmail.com. at gmail.com. How you doing, guys? Uh, doing a little bit of non-brewer kind of interview conversation stuff today. i are going to be talking a little bit of uh, beer writing, beer journalism, if, if you will, and all other bits and pieces with John Hall of, uh, of everything. Right? <laughs> yeah. Beer and brewing Magazine, steal this beer. Yeah. Um, you're, That's uh, like two things. Well, there's a lot more to it. You didn't <laughs> let me finish. Come on now. Um, but yeah, man. Um, I interviewed you a uh, short segment on this podcast when it was a radio show, uh, but we're doing it today uh, in John's place. Drinking a couple beers, staring at his beautiful dog, Pepper, who I'm not allowed to touch. Yeah, no,
1: she's hands off.
0: And uh, just saw the uh, the king ruler of of all things Haldim, Hannah Scoot out the door and headed the ball to spend those big bucks. They grow up so fast. Yeah. So what's going on, man?
1: <laughs> uh, thanks. First of all, thanks for coming out. It's uh, it's it's fun. I was uh, saying before we started recording, I haven't had like a Sunday home. Uh, in forever because you know I I travel around a lot and we have family commitments and everything so it's just been nice to sort of uh, sit at home so the fact that you drove all the way here uh, on a Sunday afternoon to to do this uh, I I can't thank you enough because it allows me to you know stay in my slippers
0: well in your I mean you know you're always on the other end of that spectrum yeah you have to travel and track down because you know uh, one of the larger portions of what you do is Beer and Brewing Magazine and there's a lot of podcasts and goes along with that. Mm-hmm. Seems like a lot more than you were doing in the past. I'll be, uh, steal this beer aside. Yeah. Um, and that constitutes a lot of traveling. So someone comes to you, it's pretty freaking fantastic.
1: It is. It is. But you know, it's also fun. I, I So doing the podcast for uh, Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine and uh, before that when I was the editor at All About Beer, um, we, we did a podcast as well. Um, and I always found that it was really helpful to go to the breweries themselves, you know, I I do hear a lot of podcasts where, you know, people are are getting folks on the phone or, you know, or whatnot, but I I always really enjoy going to somebody's brewery when I can and walking around a little bit beforehand if I haven't been before and just sort of getting an overall vibe of the place because I I think it helps steer the interview and I think it helps give, you know, listeners and then certainly if I'm writing an article about it, uh, readers context uh, for... What these brewers are all about, you know. I I had uh, Dan Suarez on the uh, on the beer and brewing podcast not too long ago, and I'd never been up to his brewery. You hear all about it, and you know everybody goes nuts for it. And uh, uh, as soon as I walked in, I was I remarked that the space, the tasting room, is really so uh in sync with the beers that he's making and it changed the whole focus of the conversation for me in a way that you know if you're just doing somebody at a bar and you have a list of prepared questions it's going to sound one way as opposed to you know being there in the other so um so i'm expecting this to be really messy because you're in our apartment after we've been here for a couple of days and messy in a good uh, <laughs> yeah it's a little chaotic as it were but yeah
0: but it's also one of those things where i mean again you know uh, because of doing the podcast is, is sometimes it's kind of hard to get the person you're talking to, to relax and open up. Mm -hmm. And then if you're in their environment and they're comfortable, it tends to come off a little bit less Q&A session, a little bit more like a conversation. You hope so. Yeah, you would hope so. Um, But the impetus for this was actually a book. That was the thing (laughs) that I kind of... Well, I got contacted, but I just... Yeah. Went over that person's head. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, I feel bad. So, I, <laughs> yeah,
1: this new book that I have out, uh, Drink Beer, Think Beer, Getting to the Bottom of Every Pint, uh, has been published by Basic, which is part of Hachette. And uh, I, I do feel bad for the publicist in a lot of ways because she's reaching out to folks saying, hey, I'm, I'm repping John Hall's new book. and. Almost everybody who knows me is then immediately just contacting me. And then I have to get back to her and be like, so here's the list of everybody that I'm going to be talking to. She's like, that's like three quarters of my list. It's like all these folks know me. I know them. Like this is this is how reporters do it. It's, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, – thank you. Yeah. It's, so that that's why we're here. Yeah. And
0: in and, and previous to this, I mean it's not obviously not your first foray into the whole book writing world. I mean originally you're more of like a reporter, mm-hmm. um, but book writing – Much different. yeah. Obviously, in reporting, you're going a little bit more kind of opinion-based stuff. Unless it's kind of like, you know, pair food with this kind of thing, which you've done in the past. Yeah. Um, But this one seems like a little bit of a a departure from all the previous books you've had. This is a little bit more kind of, there's been an itch in the back of my brain I need to scratch because I need to talk about certain things and and, and beard them. That is, is, I need to just express my thoughts on. Yeah, I, I I
1: think so. I, have been really fortunate as a, as a journalist to cover the beer industry for, you know, more than a decade now. Um, and, uh, you know, almost 15 years probably since the very first time that I wrote a, a beer story. and, as a, as a journalist, as a reporter, it's, it, it's always very much fact-based, and mm. it's, you know, this person said this thing, this beer tastes like this, uh, you know, this place does this for the community, X, X Y, and Z. It, it, it's, it's journalistic storytelling, which is what I've done for, for a really long time, um, and, and I've kept opinion out of just about everything that I've done uh, up until probably the last four or five years, maybe. Um, and when I was the editor at All About Beer, we started. I, I started writing op-eds uh, in, in the front of the book. And we had to come to something that we wanted to address. I didn't want the op-eds to just simply be, you know, in this issue of the magazine, so-and-so looks at loggers and why they're so exciting. I, I did those for the first couple of issues when I was the editor. And then we realized that we had this platform where all of these questions that we were having – conversations about behind the scenes or with brewers or things that weren't getting into the magazine, but that were being talked about on the fringes of beer or really in the heart of beer that weren't getting necessarily to the general consumers. that it was time to start doing op-eds like that. And so we started mm-hmm. taking on sexism in the industry. We started taking on, um, uh, uh, health in the industry, you know, like weight gain and, and, you know, proper balance, um, alcoholism, uh, you know, things that affect uh, uh, the industry. And then certainly, um, uh, as I got to, to craft beer and brewing, or um, I, I'm sorry, as I got to steal this beer and started doing steal this beer, there's a lot of candid conversations that came out of talking with brewers and other folks in the industry where you know, I'd be asked, Augie would be asked, Augie Carton, the co host, would be asked. To give our opinion on something, and and as much as I want to be fact based, which which I am a lot of the time, I have had this front row seat to this industry for such a long time in covering it, um, that it's it, it it's a lot of the questions that I have been asked because of my perspectives, uh, wound up going into this book, and it was a it was a huge departure for me, uh, to say you know this is what I think, because you know there's going to be people who disagree with you on that, and in, in the past if, if if I wrote a news article and I said you know so-and-so said x y and z mm-hmm. like there's really no disputing it that happened. because so-and-so That's and so said x y and Z. Yeah. but if i say you know like like i do give props to to anheuser-busch because they make consistent beer you know i get people who now say you know yeah but they but they suck and it's like oh okay you feel that way i feel yeah. a different way let's have a conversation about it but even having these conversations um is still fairly new um
0: Uh, for me in a, in a public arena. Um, yeah. When you're, when you, when you decided to do the book and you decided to go in that direction where a lot of it is, there's a lot of like factual stuff in the book about history and, 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 and things that people don't want to talk about. Like you said, whether it be about like alcoholism, weight gain and all that kind of stuff in the book, that's all covered, but you're kind of trying to stay in that uh, line of thought of bringing a bit more of an opinion-based thing. How hard is it to be traditionally trained to be xyz equals this to now okay i have to step outside my comfort zone it's really hard but a good thing i would imagine too yes and no um
1: I, I do think it's a good thing. I have to give my editor uh, Leah Stetcher a lot of credit. Um, uh, she worked on the book because after she got the first round of the manuscript, she's like, "Hey, this is really great and was written by a reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I need more opinion in here." And she really steered me and said, "You know, like, you make this point. Why do you make this point? Or you know, like, what do you want people to think about from here?" And and what I wound up doing was. Was really thinking and going back to so many of these conversations I've been fortunate to have with people and being like, all right, when we were sitting around at the bar and the notebooks weren't out, you know, but we were still on the record, you know, like what, what were we talking about and what was the, and how did I get to to this opinion? Um, you know, like what was the impetus for this? And I spent a lot of time going through old notebooks and, uh, my calendar, uh, really just remembering where I was, um, and who I was talking to and being like, okay, like what about that conversation sort of like sparks my memory. And I did call a lot of people back, um, as I was doing this and saying, Hey, remember that conversation or, you know, what do we think about this? So, so it, it I was a reporter throughout this whole process, but, um, you know, so many of the things that, that I put forward have come from me being front and center for so many, uh, you know, cool brewing trends and speaking with brewers and and learning from people who are in this day in and day out. And you know, so it was it was a difficult thing for me to finally say yes, this is what I believe. Um, but the difficult part was that you know I know that there's going to be people who disagree and who are going to come at me hard and be like, you know, oh you're full of shit. And it's like, oh. Okay, like may- maybe, like that's but that's what opinions all about.
0: Even you know? in today's world, if you wrote a all factual book, people would still do the same exact thing. So, oh sure, no, regardless of what you do, you're gonna get that. Yeah. Um, so, like, step back a minute. Like, okay. you go into the into the book. You're going to make the book. Was there a, like, tone and tenor you had th- about the book? Did you have an idea of where you wanted to go with the book? Or was it more kind of finding it along the way? I mean... Yeah,
1: I found it along the way. Okay. Um, so, uh, Basic, uh, who published the book, has this, uh, this series, which is essentially how-to... And so uh, they they have a book like How to Listen to Jazz, and mm-hmm. it's from a preeminent um, uh, 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 jazz uh, journalist, and it's all about you know fundamentals and things that you should listen to. And they had uh, Anne Hornaday, who did, uh, who's the chief. A film critic for the Washington Post, she did a a book called *Talking Pictures*, which is essentially like how to watch movies and the different types of movies and what to Mm -hmm. look for in editing and things like that. So, so there's a guide of essentially like how to drink beer was was the original uh, thought behind it. And I I thought about that for for a while, and I I spent probably about three months or so uh, after getting the contract of saying, okay, well. I know that there are how to drink beer, you know, books out there, and there are books that you know talk about sensory and everything, mm-hmm. and you know, Randy Mosher has done that, and nobody's yeah. going to do it better than yeah. Randy Mosher. So like, I didn't even want to try to do that. So I really started thinking about like, what else do we do when we're drinking beer, and and what are the points? Like, where do we drink beer? So there's a chapter on drinking beer at the bar and drinking beer at home, and sort of um, two different chapters on. How, do beer, how does beer fit into our lives and how does beer fit into that scene? And so I really wanted to talk about as much of what was around us as opposed to the liquid itself. And that to me was really important. And so as I started doing that, I started saying, okay, um, so if I started writing about, you know, cellaring beers uh, at, at home and, and what to look for in a proper cellaring program and, you know, why that's sort of fun. Uh, uh, To do, if I got another idea or something hit in the back of my mind, it would just be a post it and then it would be like, okay, where is this going to fit later on? And so there was no start at chapter one and end at chapter eight. It was very, it was a very chaotic, very piecemeal um, uh, type of process. Um, but I, I wanted to touch on so much that happens when we're drinking beer that does not involve the actual liquid itself.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, and that makes sense. You kind of t- talk about it in slight hesitation, like, Oh, I didn't have, and I it, like some people go into a painting knowing their paint. Sometimes people go into paintings, sure. And let the image kind of come throughout painting, and it's funny because you said they it was more of like um the the jumping point was a how to book. Yeah, and when I when I listened to it because I listened to it instead of read it, and that was an interesting <laughs> thing I want to touch on and a little the bit audiobook, later. Book, yeah. Um, I narrated an audio book. Yes, uh, and it, uh, we'll get to that. But anyway. Um, It came off as, to me, as a how-to book, but in a really unique way. And this is how it came off to me. I don't know if this is how you end up seeing it. But it ended up coming off, not, sure, there's people who are just getting into beer, they're going to get something from it. There's people that are, who are really into beer, who are going to get something from it. But the way, the the kind of tempo, or the kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, The theme of the book, for me, was slow down. Slow down and, and, and dr- put your phone down. Slow down, drink the beer, and, again, think about the beer because it speaks to a lot of how beer is today where people, like, just go into beers for the tick or go into beer just to try it or go to the beer to get the beer and then lose the focus of actually drinking the beer and thinking about the beer. Yeah. And, and it almost speaks to a lot of the people that are getting into beer nowadays. Like, who knows how many people got a beer over the past... You know, five, ten years, but it seems like a good it's portion a lot. like yeah. an amazing amount. Like, I mean, you know, you got in this how many years ago? If I found somebody fifteen years ago, if I found somebody in the craft beer once a year, I'd be like, wow, this is crazy. I found someone who was in the beer. Yeah. Now you could be at Applebee's. Not that I'd ever go to an Applebee's, but for the sake of saying it, you could be sitting there and someone could be—you have no idea who they are—sitting in the booth over there, going, "Oh, I went to Bissell Brothers last week." And it's like, how are these people existing in this world now? And it seems like those people have taken a huge jump from I'm not into beer, now I'm waiting in line, and now I'm trying to get the greatest beer ever, and didn't take that journey of finding out flavor and finding out discovery and and, and failing along the way and drinking shitty beer, and, and, and they skip so many steps. It seems like you're trying to grab that person and be like, hey, you can come back here, slow down a little bit, yeah, and enjoy the beer and think about it, as opposed to just this hyper... Super knee-jerks, kind of society. Beer has kind of fallen into for a lot of people, not everybody.
1: Yeah, I, I remember when I first started um, uh, in college drinking better beer, and I referenced this. You know, a, a, a buddy of mine got me a beer of the month club for my twenty-first, and um, uh, and I and I, it was a lot of smutty nose, and it was probably a lot of really out of code smutty nose, and and really not all that great. But I, I was sort of keen to try all these new things, and I found a couple of buddies. Um, that I was in college with, and we would either drive around to different breweries in Jersey. I think uh, there's one summer where they had a little passport book where you know if you got like all of New Jersey's 15 breweries, yeah, you got a free hoagie or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you got like a, like a logoed glass, and like uh, uh, Gene Miller would like give you a high five or something like that and if you was in the glass, mood for you mean it. Pint. right? Exactly. Yeah. Pint. Um, but it was, <laughs> um, you know, but but we would then go to to the local liquor store, and you know, like we'd each buy like one. Or or two bottles and have like these small little shares and we would just pick blind off of the shelf and mm-hmm. there's so many beers that were duds but then there's so many beers that were revelations and I talked to brewers who uh and and people who who work in the beer industry uh who did the same thing like back in the day and now I talk to somebody who's like 21 and it's like oh yeah you know I I saw this uh, listicle that said that you know these are the five places that I need to go in the Hudson Valley yeah. so I just went and it's like okay but like did you explore Around that, like yeah. you know, like if you go to Suarez, do, you know, do you also go to the other brewery that that's down the street? Ah, uh, no, I heard they weren't very good. Well, did, did you find out for yourself? Yeah. Like maybe they're not, maybe they are. Yeah. You know, but find out for yourselves. And I think that's that's something where it, it's this really great benefit of choice these days. With sixty seven hundred breweries in the country, you can go to only the ones that you want to. Whereas fifteen years ago, we could only go to the ones well, that we, existed. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think that that we're losing a little bit of that that exploratory, and that you mentioned the phone and slowing down a little bit. I think we're also at this point where, and I I, I tell a story in the book about uh, I was out at uh, Green Flash when they had Cellar Three, which was their barrel aging facility. Yeah, this just just since story, closed down. Uh, yeah,
0: when you were with, uh, um, I'll. Al- Al- Uh, No, 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 no. This was Brandon Hernandez. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. I was with Brandon Hernandez and um, uh, we were sitting just trying to have a conversation over, you know, I don't know, some, some great stout. And there's this guy who's clearly on a first date sitting at the bar. And he had a whole tray of samplers in front of him, and uh, every time he'd taste one, uh, he'd check into Untapped, and you know, so his date would be like, "So, you know, tell me about what it's like being in your job, or you know, whatever," and he'd be like, "Well, you know, I really like. Oh, look at this, you know, my buddy just toasted my check-in," <laughs> and and he is so caught up in this this real world that he realized that like, you know, he probably wasn't going anywhere else with this woman afterwards, um, and 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 it's like, let's focus on like what's around us, like beer, Bill Manley who used to work for Sierra Nevada, who now works for Surly, um, made this really great point to me a couple years ago that beer should be an addendum to life. That when we're having these conversations, you know, uh, over beers, you know, having beers, um, that it shouldn't necessarily be the main focus. It can be for a minute. Yeah. But then the rest of the time, let's just go back to our conversations and let's like learn about each other again and have this exchange of ideas and sort of slow down and not get caught up in this knee-jerk reaction of... You know what's cool, what's hip. What should we be mad about in the beer industry these days? What should we be blindly thinking is the is the greatest thing these days? Like, let's bring some thought back to beer and how it impacts our lives and how it's a part of our lives. Um, and this sort of crystallized for me. Uh, in, in slow parts, as, as, as the book was sort of coming together and in, in, in the last couple of years, I was uh, in Nashville. I have family down there. So I get, I get down there a couple of times a year and uh, it's at this great bar called Craft Brood. And um, uh, if, you ever, if you're ever down there, it's this great bottle shop and tap room and uh, Bolton's fried uh, hot chicken is right across the street so you can bring it in. And Matty Hargrove, who works for uh, Blackberry Farms, he and I were out uh, having a beer. And this guy comes in and he's all hot under the collar and he's saying, you hear this bullshit that, uh, you know, AB, uh, after they, they, they bought uh, Miller Coors, that they, um, or after they bought, you know, Miller Brewing, that they, uh, they they got this hop farm in South Africa, and all these craft brewers used to get hops. And now they can't get any hops, because AB wants them all for themselves, and fuck AB, and all of this, you know, and screaming and yelling. And and I had done some research into the story, because I, I had heard about it. Yeah. So, very small percentage of hops, but it was this narrative of big beer stepping on the throats of small yeah. beer, which which did happen on some level. But I, I realized that Maddie and I were just having a conversation about local water and how that's important. I said to the guy, "Wow, you're really worried about you know these South African hops," um, and and I let him into this a little bit because I wanted to see where it would go. I said, uh, "You know, have you been drinking a lot of you know local beer around here?" He said,
0: "Oh yeah, I'm big
1: into all the local stuff." I said, um, "Where's the aquifer? Where do, where did the local breweries get their water from?" And the guy went blank. And it just and it occurred to me in that in that moment that like everybody's up in arms about this ingredient that's being harvested uh, uh, on the other side of the planet, uh, but they don't know where their local breweries are getting their water from. And 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 I talk to brewers as well, like especially new brewers, of like, you know, yeah, you're getting city water supply. Where does the city water come from? And uh, I don't know. It's like we should be paying attention to that. Yeah. You know, because like and. We should be thinking about clean water. You know, Flint, Michigan was not an aberration. Like, like, our infrastructure is crumbling around us. And as much as we want to celebrate hops and we should be celebrating hops, we should be thinking about the main ingredient in beer, the main ingredient for life, and protecting that and thinking about that as opposed to, you know, screaming and
0: yelling about large brewers taking a hop farm. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, sell the sizzle, stay for the sake. The hops are the sizzle. Sure. The steak, it, well, well, the water would be the iceberg wedge. You get about five minutes before the steak actually arrives. The wedge salad is
1: the best salad. <laughs> like, there, there's no better
0: salad than a wedge but salad. But you, I mean, you focus on that a lot in the book. You talk about, you know, you give, I think, equal recognition to hops, malt, water, and yeast across yeah. the board. Um, but you really do focus on kind of the malt or not focus, I would say, um, kind of, uh, want to have people more aware of the malt and water portions of the show. I think because so. those are the two ones that seem to fall aside. Cause sour beers can get a little bit sexy. So people will talk about bacteria and yeast and things like that. Um, but you know the malt and water thing, uh, like you said, uh, goes well beyond beer. Water is needed for life in general, let alone any everything else. So. You know,
1: people talk about balance in beer, and it usually falls into malt and hops. Nice like hop bite and nice malt backbone. You know, two meaningless words when it comes yeah. to, to to describing these things. But I really think that if we want to talk about balance, it's it's a four way. Yep. You know, it's a it's a, it's a it's an X where you know you want to be able to balance the middle of that X on the head of a pin, mm-hmm. um, and that's what balance is. When we talk about the four main ingredients, to say nothing of everything else that goes into beer uh these days as well but you know to focus on just one or maybe two ingredients um i think we're doing a, a big disservice and we're not thinking about what you know the whole final product is
0: yeah i mean you could even talk to you just um you guys just posted at the time of recording this you just posted an interview with uh pete and then ricardo from uh equilibrium and talk yeah. about water water uh, affects I mean, hops in such an amazing way as far as propping it up and doing what you need to do, especially in today's kind of hazy world. Mm-hmm. Um, so to even be like, oh, water's whatever. But I mean, you're not going to get your super hazies without specific water chemistry, um, clean water aside, yeah. just processing the water in a specific way. So and you touched on that interview about the balance of art versus science and stuff like that. And, 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 and you even mentioned about people. You know, thinking a lot of it's like magic or a hope and a prayer kind of thing, uh, uh, where a lot of it is, you know, meaningful. And and it shouldn't just be a singular focus. Sure, that sells, but uh, hops aren't the only thing. Agreed. And I think that when you look
1: at, again, 6,700 breweries in the country right now, the ones that have the benefit of time. But also, uh, like so like Sierra Nevada, for example, It's been around for 38 years now. They have the benefit of time, but they also have the benefit of Ken Grossman, uh, uh, the co-founder of the brewery, and now, you know owner of the brewery, who, sees the intersection of art and science who knows about QAQC and who from a very early age uh, of that brewery realized that that was going to be paramount. Yes, let's explore new flavors. Yes, let's put out new things. Yes, let's take hops where they haven't been before. And it's going to be a weird ride, an exciting ride, and ultimately a very satisfying ride for so many drinkers. But let's also make sure that through every step of the way, we're thinking about every step. And Brewers who aren't looking to their elders for that, you know, be it big or small, um, or even to their neighbors who are emulating what those brewers did in the early days and continue to do today, I, I really think run the risk of alienating a huge customer base and have the potential of going out of business at some point because – if you're not focusing on quality, if you're not focusing on innovation, if you're not focusing on all of the things that successful people in this industry mm-hmm. have proven work time and time again, somebody else will open up across the street from you and eat your lunch.
0: Yeah. And, but you at the same time, like you said, yeah. I mean, you you included in ingenuity in trying to create more. You can't just go by the old school. You know right. what I mean? Just like the person who doesn't go to that brewery that they said, oh, might not have been that good because they heard it wasn't fantastic. You want to go out and explore so mm-hmm. you still want to have that kind of creative kind of juices flowing for breweries out there but at the same time you want to respect the past and take what you can there's so much there's so much information that you could use and people choose to ignore yeah you know but go forward that now the other thing you touched on in the in the uh in the book the one thing i wanted to talk about is that what, what corporate appropriation of craft yeah okay um And then you kind of uh, really bang on uh, wanting to go with independent versus craft. Don't you think it's just like a, like a cyclical thing? Like eventually they're going to take over independent and then we'll have to move on to another. Yeah. Didn't I make
1: that point in the book? I don't remember. Did I, did,
0: did I, did I miss that?
1: I, we've replaced, I'm sorry, the The beer industry has replaced uh, the word craft with independent these days and signifying somehow, you know, that independence is, uh, you know, the most important thing to look for when, when, when buying a beer. Um, I think it's important to vote with your dollars mm-hmm. and I think that it's important to support uh, the type of businesses that you want to support if, if, if that industry exists. Um, My problem with independent these days is it's a good, strong, solid word. It's this word that that our country was founded on. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't address quality. And it doesn't address good, flavorful beer. And independent sometimes means making tough choices and standing alone. And when you have all of these small breweries, you know, these formerly craft or, you know, craft independent or independent craft or whatever they're (laughs) calling themselves, um, all standing together, all blindly saying, okay, our sole focus is fighting the big guys. That doesn't necessarily help the people who are standing around you. And so I've been saying to brewers as I've been out, like, independence is great. And if you want to care about, you know, and support uh, or, or I'm sorry, show off your ownership that's really mm-hmm. fantastic and 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 you should but that also means that if somebody is also in your independent club and, and is down the street from you and making shitty beer you have to say hey you're going to ruin this for the mm-hmm. rest of us you're going to hurt the rest of us it's the same way that microbrew, and I say I talk about this in the book got this bad connotation early on as being a lesser quality you know micro you know uh, in the bubble that burst in the in the late 90s early 2000s uh, you know it had to rebrand because microbrew was tainted as a dirty word yeah independent. Can fall into that same arena again, and you know when we talk about ownership, and it's such this this, this weird. The, the Brewers Association, which is a which is a trade group, which is a lobbying group uh, that represents small brewers, um, has definitions as to what constitutes as a craft brewer. Uh, They don't talk about craft beer. They just identify their members as craft brewers. And one of the things is you can't be more than 25% owned by like a large, you know, conglomerate or whatever. Brooklyn Brewery. Is twenty four and a half percent owned by you know yeah. Sapporo, like the the Japanese brewer, you know, a, a, as it were. So like you know, there's brewers that are towing the line, you know, like Dogfish Head is fifteen percent owned by you know LNK, which has like pieces of Levi's, yeah. um, you know, and then you have other brewers that are owned. Um, uh, uh Oscar Blues and Cigar City and all this are owned by Fireman Capital which is this you know huge venture capital group you know as well so like there there's ownership is one of these things where it's not mom and pop it's not necessarily finding a brewery where there's just one or two sole owners and that they're also the people who work there is harder and harder and harder to find these days because there's a lot of angel investors there's a lot of venture capital money there's a lot of bank loans and a lot of other things that go into who actually has points in a particular business. And so if we're just going to focus on ownership, I think we lose sight of talking about, you know,
0: beer that is clearly defective, you know? And yeah. And I mean, speak to that and that's kind of the roundabout way I wanted to get to you you end up talking about a lot of subpar beer out there and there is a lot of subpar beer and there's okay. And I think I've talked about the about this briefly um, when I was on steal this beer about sometimes you go to a brewery and it's just, you know, the beers don't hit for you and it's okay to have some patience with the brewer and, and, and let them find a little bit of their way when they first start off, not necessarily saying, okay, they're making a bad product, but maybe it's not up to snuff or whatever. Why do you think there's so many uh, subpar brewers out there? Is it a matter of oh, like just people seeing, the industry and wanting to be into it and not know what they're doing. Do you see it? What I think it is. And I see it in a lot of industries where, um, you know, brewers end up working at a brewery and then they go open their own brewery. And then they bring in an assistant brewer who leaves and starts his own brewery. It's almost like they talk about a craft beer bubble, which doesn't exist. It's often like an oversaturation of brewers that are trying to get ahead so fast that they forget, forget about the basics. The same way we talked about people not being into beer or skipping steps and getting into kind of big beers as a, and not failing along the way to kind of learn lessons of what's what. Right. It, an oversaturation of just uneducated brewers. It, 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 like, where do you see, it, or is it just people don't know how to make beer? Is it that simple?
1: I, I don't know if it's that simple. I think it's a com- I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And 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 I have to paint with a broad brush here because there there are so many different things that uh, you know work for some people that that don't for others. You know, it's not just walking in, firing up the kettle, adding the ingredients fermenting and then serving. You know, there, there's a business to run uh, aside from that. And I, and I think that for a lot of folks who are homebrewers who are really talented, you know, then you suddenly have to worry about payroll and overhead and everything else that comes with you know, running a small business or working in a small business and that you can lose focus a little bit on, you know, if you're not used to, to how to do those things or you're not delegating out to do those things. Um, and so if you're, if you're working several jobs within your own business, whereas it, you used to just make beer, uh, it can be really hard. And, and in some cases, the beer can suffer. Um, but I also think that there are a lot of folks who have read books, who have been really great at home brewing, who have... Um, uh maybe worked for a couple of weeks in a brewery uh i'm always amazed when i talk to somebody it's like well what was your professional brewing experience before this like oh you know my local brewery gave me like an internship for two weeks uh, last august and i came in and i did some stuff i was like that's like i've done that and i would I, you know i've done that multiple times but i would never think to open a brewery good god so i i i think that education is important as well and we're seeing more you know folks um uh, or more places uh, start to offer programs uh, for brewing. but, folks aren't going to UC Davis, you know, in the same number as breweries that are opening, you know, or Siebel in the same number of breweries that are opening. Um and I think that that's a that's a problem as well. This is, you know, if you're going to become uh, you know, an accountant, you know, you're going to, you know, take accounting classes in college. You know, if you're going to, you know, become a reporter, you know, maybe you'll take, you know, you'll study journalism. I I didn't, but like it's, you know, but a lot of people do. Um so I I think that Too many folks see beer as a little too easy at first and that the realities don't show. And then, you know, well, damn it. You know, I could I could do this really well in five gallons. But now, you know, with my, you know, 10 barrel system, like something's just just off. And it's like yeah, it's going to take a while to dial that in and to figure it out. But if you don't know the full mechanics of like how to break down these ingredients or, you know, what, you know, heat's doing, or, you know, if you're not using the right dosage of yeast or whatever number of things that's happening, you know, you can, you can put out some, some, some rough beer. And I'm seeing that unfortunately um, consistently, you know, it's not a lot that I see it, but I see it consistently enough where it's very much top of mind for me.
0: But, do you think yeah. there is a just, you don't get it factor when it comes to that? There's like some people who just, I mean, is it all technical? Is it all, if you know the formulas, you're fine, you can do it. Because then you see people, to go back to the equilibrium thing, they just a bunch of home brewers open up a brewery, and by all accounts, as financially, and as far as, you know, scores and untapped, whatever you want to call it, they're a fairly successful brewery who basically went from home to open like a big brewery but then you have guys that just bang at it and they've had training and they just can't get it is it ignorance is it just there's is there an it factor is there something beyond just technical ability you know some doctors are great doctors some are just not there's got to be a physical kind of you're good at this kind of thing going on you
1: know that's a fun question and it's not something that i've actually given a lot of thought uh, if there is you know that that it factor but i do think that as, as i'm now thinking about it a little bit more I remember years ago I was in Chile. Uh, this isn't in the book, but I, years ago I was in Chile and um, uh, judging a beer competition. And Matt Brendelson of Firestone Walker was was also one of the judges, and his wife Allison was there. And uh, somebody asked the question. It wasn't me, but somebody asked the question you know, like, uh, um, "You know, so what's Matt like at home?" You because know, if you've ever met Matt, he is he's a lot of fun to hang out with. Uh, but he is arguably the country's best brewer. Uh, he's got a great technical mind. He has worked at so many places. Uh, he has been responsible for so many of the beers that have brought brewers into the fold, brought drinkers into the fold, and continue to uh, inspire uh, folks on, you know, almost a monthly basis. And uh, and Allison responded with, you know, he's the only person I think that I know who uh, falls asleep at night reading, uh, you know, hop text sheets and, <laughs> uh, you know, technical papers, you know, uh, that have been translated from other languages uh, to get a better experience. About brewing, like that's what's on his nightstand at night, and it just struck me like that. This is a guy who is continuously trying to be better and to learn science better, and to to that's a terrible sentence, but to to (laughs) to you know to really grasp. You know, what is continuously happening in advances in beer and the equilibrium guys, when I when I talk to them, they come from a scientific background as well. Like these guys mm-hmm. work in, you know, have worked in labs before, you know, like they follow the scientific method. You know, they're putting mathematic hypotheses to hop trials as mm-hmm. well, as opposed to like, you know, I think it'd be kind of fun to use this type of pepper in a in a in a in a chili stout and like never used it before. I don't know much about it, but you know, like let's, let's give it a go. And I think that you can have art and science, but you can't have one without the other. Like they have to, they have to sort of be together. And so I think the brewers that we have seen who have that it factor are the ones who have successfully integrated both parts of that into their lives. The Ken Grossman's, the Matt Brindleson's, the guys from Equilibrium. Um, you know, there's other brewers as well who push innovation, but who also, you know, care about making sure that what goes out the door, um, isn't going to bite them in the ass. Fair enough. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know. Did, no, I, no, does that no, answer no. It's okay. No, because I don't know the. I, I I don't have an answer for the question. That's why I'm. I'm I curious don't either. About it yeah. Because I don't know if there is that kind of factor. Because you've seen. You know, it is and everything you see. It's not as one plus one equals two. There's a little bit more to it. So it's a little bit more complicated. And I've seen people who really genuinely care about it. What you're talking about is love. That reason why he has those sheets on his nightstand is because that's what he genuinely loves. There's no, oh, I got to work today when he goes to the brewery. No, he just wants to do that. And I feel like, is, is it some people kind of love it? or kind of like it and and are just not all in on it or is it an in fact I don't know that's why I pose a question because I, I don't have it I think answer. there's
1: also a, a certain amount of humility that comes with being a great brewer as well the more yes. that I think about it, I think of somebody like Todd Mott who is a longtime brewer up at the Portsmouth brewery up in uh, up in New Hampshire yeah. and then left and started his own called tributary in, uh, in York Maine uh, so just right over the uh, or Kittery maine I'm sorry right over uh, the, the the river um, from from where he had been working forever and I mean and here's a guy that any brewer around the country who who knows of Todd's uh contributions uh to the brewing industry go there and basically genuflect but I've seen Todd engage folks in questions and say you know hey I got stuck on this recipe the other day you know what do you think you know about this and there's this humility that comes with asking other brewers questions and then genuinely taking their answer into account to try to be Mm -hmm. better as well as opposed to you know some folks who I've seen who walk in and will talk all over master brewers uh without ever once saying what what do you think and yeah. and I, that's a weird thing That's a weird thing, especially with 6,700 breweries out there that kind of goes back to your point of some of the folks who are starting to drink now, um, you know, of not paying attention to where it came from before. There's brewers who are coming in and acting the same way of like, you know, not touring Sierra Nevada and not asking questions and not, you know, looking to what Sam Adams has done over the years as far as, you know, trying different ingredients and different things and what's worked and what's not and, you know, like actually asking for legitimate help
0: and take that keep that in mind yeah and go the opposite direction um with beer you're talking about innovation you're talking about people kind of yeah. jumping in and doing different things one of the biggest waves in beer it seems like that's hitting if not hit already is everybody retracting going in the lager and pilsner and kolsch and things like that and now you have the old guard yeah. going don't be messing with my lager pilsner and kolsch where do you <laughs> find a balance between oh listen to me and, be, and do, you know, be creative. Do your thing. But I can impart wisdom on you. But also, don't fuck with that thing. That is sacred ground. Because you see all these breweries. You know, you have other half selling $17 four-packs of 4.5% Pilsner. Or Monkish <laughs> doing the same thing. Are these hype breweries doing yeah. the same thing? And then you have people kind of bang on. Like, it's. you see it creeping out now from the old school heads. Kind of, like, getting a little pissed off. People are getting into that old school beer thing. Where do you stand on that?
1: Um as a beer drinker, I love that there's more pilsner available, yes. and that there's better pilsner available out there these days. Yes. Um, you know, it's there's this old adage of you know like. Brewers like making pills or Kolsch, um, uh or lagers because it's what they like to drink, mm-hmm. um, but it would never sell. You know, so I remember being at burial a couple years ago down in Nashville, North Carolina, and uh, and we were drinking their their Kolsch. I think it's called Billows, and uh, uh, all of us were standing around uh, after like a day of like lectures or I forget what we were doing down there, touring around or something, and uh, uh, all the brewers are, are drinking. Um, uh, uh, this Kolsch, I'm, I'm there with them. I'm drinking the same thing. We're all having a fascinating conversation. And there's this lion snaking out the door uh, for everybody lining up to get uh, pastry stout. And it's like, God, there's this this huge disconnect that exists between what the brewers are making for the drinkers and what they're making for themselves. And I think that now more and more uh, the drinkers are coming around to it, the folks who are ODing on pastry stouts mm-hmm. or um, seeing that there's a little bit more to Hayes or that, uh, you know, or more out there than Hayes and everything else like that. And that they're also starting to pay attention to the brewers and saying, oh, what, what do you like to drink? As opposed to what are you making for me? Yes. Um, I, and I don't see this as a reversal. I think that I see this really as It's a progression. A, I do. I, I yeah. think that I see this as as a maturity that craft has 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 come into. In the beginning. When a lot of these folks were making ales, um, sometimes it was to hide flaws, or sometimes it was because ales are a little bit more forgiving, or had quicker turnaround times, uh, as it were. And with tank space being limited, you needed to turn and burn those, uh, those fermenters as fast as possible to get more beer out the door, to get more dollars in, to make more beer, to get more beer out the door, et cetera, et cetera. Now that brewers have a little bit more money, some of the larger ones, they can put in lagering tanks. They can put in uh, space that's dedicated to these types of beers and take on some of the larger players as well and get into that space. When when we talk about independent, when we talk about craft, it's 13% of the overall marketplace right now, a little less than 13 actually. So there's 87% of beer drinkers in this country who are not drinking. Craft, which you know, yeah. the hazies, the the yeah. IPAs, the, the the whatever that's out there these days. If some of these players want to get into that market, so Firestone by putting out 805 their Blondale a couple years ago, which is now something like sixty percent of their overall business, uh, and and it's only in like California and like two other states, it's insane, you know. Or now with their Lager, or Pivo pills, or some of those, or you know, some of these other brewers that have started to put out um, Founders with with Solid Gold and some of these other things as well. They are now taking some of that share away from the established lager and pilsner players that we have that have ruled for generations in this country because that 87 percent of drinkers recognize those words and when they have these beers that are not huge hop bombs or overly sweet or overly bitter or anything else that that goes against everything that they think of with craft that's great because now that's money going into some of these smaller businesses as well um that also have pretty diverse portfolios and so it's it i could see some of these as being new gateways for people in the same way that boston lager was for so many people back in the day i could see firestone lager becoming that same way of like okay i trust this let me try you know a dba or let me try a union jack or let me try maybe i'll like it maybe i won't but i'm at least going to try it now um and i think that it, that's happening because these brewers are making technically perfect pills and lagers, which we hadn't seen three years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it probably—I uh, mean, it probably goes hand in hand with the, the beer drinking culture getting a little bit farther past just bitter and sweet too. Yeah, then progressing along with the brewers. But um, you have so you have that both worlds colliding. You have the hazy DDH world going into the, uh, the Kohl's she Pilsnery world of yeah. things. But like, how do you feel about like a local hyper selling a $17 four pack of Pilsner? I, I mean, you don't buy it. I won't no, buy it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, get it, but... I have
1: a tough time justifying that cost. I really yeah. do have a tough time justifying that cost. Um, uh, you know, I have a budget just like everybody else, yeah. uh, you know, when it comes to beer, um, I might buy it once just to try it, you know, and if if I really like it, I can, you know, maybe justify it. But then, you know, I also have a local that uh, uh, serves $4.50 liters uh, or half liters of uh, uh, Pilsner Kel on oh. the, uh, you know, uh, every day. And so I can just walk That's down dangerous. there. And, yeah, it's a,
0: gr- it's a great beer.
1: <laughs> it's a great beer. And, you know, then the price is right. And... I think that that's the other thing as well is that so many of these brewers, because they don't have the lagering space for it. And so they say, okay, if we're going to tie up a tank for a month, we need to justify that cost by X amount of dollars. And that falls into a $17, you know, four pack. Yeah. The other part of that, too, is if you extrapolate that and you say, okay, well, what's that, you know, price per pint? Um, It actually isn't too far out than what you might get at a bar, but we're not used to paying bar prices. Historically, we're not used to, to paying vessels, yeah. right, to, to drink at home. Yeah, So that I think that that's something that could potentially change and would be great for some brewers and terrible for everybody else's checking accounts. But, <laughs> you know, if we start thinking about it in terms of pints and, you know, what's justifiable to you um, –
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, It all comes down to economics too. If you vote with your dollars, prices change. That's all it comes into yeah. it, it. You dictate what's made. You dictate what what people end up making and 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 whatnot.
1: And there are breweries that push this envelope. I remember, God, years ago, years and years and years ago, um, I was coming home and I was really in the mood for Haas, which was a rye lager that. Uh, great Divide made out of Colorado. Yeah. And I walked into the local package store just down the block. I was on my way home and uh, uh, picked up the six pack, I I brought it to the counter and uh, they said, uh, that'll be sixteen ninety nine. And I said, No, this is ha, this is great divide, this is their login. It's like, Oh yeah, no, of course, sorry. And they scan it again. It's like, Nope, sixteen ninety nine I'm like, I'm sorry. So I walked back to the cooler, and there was the press. I just hadn't paid attention to it. Yeah. Because I'm thinking like, it's it's a rye lager. Like this isn't <laughs> like like no. And and I actually wound up putting it back because like this and this is maybe six seven years ago I could not say okay I'm going to pay this 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 amount of money. Yeah. You know. But then you know Sculpin came and changed the game with like their their you know. Uh, expensive six packs and everything and uh, for IPAs and then everybody else followed suit like once they saw the IRI numbers the the industry data numbers saying that like they didn't really get a a, a hit they actually got a a little bit of a boost because people were paying premium products for it other brewers follow suit it's like in the airline industry the first one will dip the toe in the water and say okay the check bags fee is going to be 25 bucks everybody everybody else is like oh it's insane Uh, and then within like you know three months everybody's yeah Yeah. and now we're up to 30 and that you know somebody's always taking the bullet first to see if it's going to fly or not and then you either back it off or we just keep going until you find that threshold.
0: So, I mean, to talk about the the hazy um, the pastry stouty version yeah. of the beer media world podcasts. You are. You, that's that's what that's what uh, that's what that's we're a, doing right now. That's a, That's a great that's a great way. It, it is. Uh, everybody's got one. There's everybody's the... got one. Everybody does one. No, C- I mean, case in point. All very good. No, yeah. no, not at all. Um, uh, how's how does that work for you? Again, going back to the kind of you know factual portion of the show. You're sitting there. You're talking. You're kind of basically all opinion all the time. Yeah. Whether it be on, I mean, more in um, beer and brewing magazine. It's it's a little bit more kind of meet the brewer kind of stuff that yeah. you do there. But it's more specifically steelless beer, where there's a bit more kind of, you know. I don't know what uh, opinion and levity meets a little bit of drunkenness kind of going on. Like, how do you balance that with like, I'm a journalist, I write on this end of things, but I'm in a podcast. I mean, you're still asking poignant questions and you're getting answers. trying to. But, well, well, you're trying to, but it ends up coming off a little bit more lighter. It, it, do you appreciate that? Do you like to get into that role and not be as matter of fact and as serious like you typically do when you write? Yes or, and yes, yes and no. um I, I, I see my role there
1: uh, for for still this beer as, as a as kind of a tough one, right? because and I'm just going to I'll talk about the the beer drinking portion of it because we are drinking blind out of glass uh, out of black mm-hmm. glasses. And so there can be beers that you know, I've had before that in different contexts, I've really enjoyed. But we are live on a mic giving our initial impressions of it. And so one, we have to be sharp when we're tasting, you know, and and, and I think that I've I've honed my skills, I know Augie has as well, um, in the three years that we've been doing that show, three plus years we've been doing that show, because um, we really have to be giving our full attention uh, to all of the nuances of a beer, while we've also taken away uh, two really important, um, uh, or one really important uh, 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 visual cue. Uh, the visual yeah. cue of the whole thing um and just simply by going on aroma and uh, and and flavor and and mouthfeel in a lot of ways, which which has really started to play a, a bigger role but we have savaged beers on the show in for two people that we both know and like and Augie as a professional brewer like is friends with a lot of these people and and me as a journalist like I have to call these people and be like hey I'm working on another story can I get a quote for this and you know I have to sometimes make uncomfortable calls or see brewers like after the show is run and been like hey you know like I-, I can't apologize for for what I tasted you yeah. know that day How because is, like yeah. it's, it, 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 is it is what, what it is. is and there's some brewers who don't like it and then there's other brewers who are like yeah that's that,
0: that's true and I would I, imagine more times than not it's a positive wouldn't it be I
1: you know I I think in the same way that if I read an article and somebody goes this is crap or yeah. you know like or you're wrong yeah. or you know the the worry that I have with you know like putting opinion out there or somebody you know, uh, you know basically shitting all over uh, something that you've put a lot of time and, and thought and, and, and care into, um, there's an ego sting, and there's a but you know I think for the some of the folks who sit back, um, they 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 recognize, and we've had some folks. I did this when I was at All About as well, uh, All About Beer, when we were doing blind tastings. Um, I wouldn't tell people what the beers are, and I'd say to somebody if we were doing like a peanut butter porter, I'd say, okay, this is a this is a porter with 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 something added to it. I wouldn't even say it's peanut butter. So I wanted to see if people could get that. And I remember we had one beer uh, that everybody just absolutely savaged um, from Founders and. Um, and it was just, it was terrible. Like somebody described it as like warm vomit in the glass and the beer was ice cold. And, uh, I was at founders a, a, a couple of weeks after this, this, uh, article came out or this review came out and we printed it in the magazine and, uh, the, the brewer was there and the magazine was on the table. Like he walked in and he had the, the magazine in his hand and he's like, so I saw your review. And I said, oh shit. Like, here we go. And I said, uh, what do you think? And he goes, yeah. Like, he's like, the first time we did it, it was a lot better than the batch that you got. And it's like, okay. Like, yeah. you know, so I, I think that, you know, it, when you have opinion like that, you have to be You have to be confident in your own way. You know, Augie says, uh, uh, often wrong, always confident. Yes. <laughs> and and I, I agree with that in a lot of ways. Like, you know, we've spent a lot of time training our palates. We've spent a lot of time thinking about beer, talking about beer, diving into individual ingredients. And I think that, Eight times out of ten, we're pretty much on the money. And then sometimes, like, we're way so wackadoodle off base that it's laughable. Um, But it also just sort of shows how
0: beer can mess with your mind as well. Uh, Through doing the podcast, and, and especially more specifically the kind of blind beer portion of the show, in writing this book, something is a bit kind of outside of, like, your comfort zone. Is there anything specific it's kind of taught you? Um, outside of maybe humility, you
1: know? Humility is a big one, uh, especially when you're wrong. Um, it's, also, it's also a lot of fun, like, when, you know, you nail a beer and you get it right, although that's not the point of the show. Um, you know, we're never trying to guess what the beer is, but sometimes, you know... Um, uh, you know, you were on the show. You brought a yeah. beer, and we we knew what that was because yeah. we'd had it, and it's a it's an unmistakable beer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had Utopias from Sam Adams in blind tastings uh, at judging panels, and it's like, oh, I know exactly yeah. what this beer because it tastes exactly like yeah. nothing else. Um, you know, I, I I've learned to really try to focus on as many different parts of the beer as possible. And I do this like when I'm at home now uh, or out at the bar uh, as well of to really try to zero in and say, all right, with this sip, I'm really going to try to find hops or I'm really going to try to think about hops and then see what comes to my mind. Um, But I think the biggest thing is that if you drink enough beer, if you try enough things, if you... Taste ingredients on their own. Like I love going to grocery stores and just you know, or you know, spice shops yes. and One just of my trying, I know just going, trying yeah. the individual ingredients. You know, going to farmers markets and saying like, "Hey, can I just try this cherry? Like, oh, I've never tried this type of cherry before, or whatever." And just sort of filing it away in my mind of just you know, like or specific food memories that that, that come to mind. What I what I've really learned is to trust my subconscious. And so if the first thing that comes to my mind is Almonds, or the first thing that comes to my mind is green strawberry, or whatever it is, to not dismiss that. As soon as somebody else, you know, usually Augie starts talking about, you know, whatever he's getting. Because the power of suggestion is so very real when it comes to beer. And you can really start to doubt yourself yep. um quite a bit. And so, you know, if 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 that first beer that we were drinking uh here today, if I said, you know, boy, I really love this cherry note that I'm getting off of it, you would immediately start hunting for the yes. cherry note. And you might even convince yourself that it's there's fair. a cherry note in there, even though I just made that up. Yeah. You know, like now the second beer, certainly, but like if it's
0: which is a unique angle with the with the black glass because in, in what you're doing is you're trying to remove all preconceived notion but then mm-hmm. what you're doing is just through conversation creating it yeah which is and trying to weed through what is real and what is not
1: which 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 is fun you know and it's it's also a lot of fun when guests bring on beers that they're generally trying to trip us up on you know or you know something that they had once and something like really appeared uh, uh, prominent to them, but then they've waited forever. um, And then uh, it's changed quite a bit. So then they're surprised as well. And that's the, you know, that's why I love, you know, it's always embarrassing for me whenever somebody brings uh, Orval on to steal this beer, which has happened quite a bit because it vexes me every time. You know, there's certain things that I've started to pay attention to now uh, that maybe I can pick it up. Um, But that beer has basically a five six year shelf life something like that, and it changes from the day that it's bottled to that final day yeah. that that it, that it's good into, and can change almost by the week uh, if you're really thinking about it, and that's sort of the fun thing. And we've had you know, I think I want to say you know Chief from Industrial Arts brought on an uh, 05 and an 06 or something like that a couple years ago, or you know like uh, beers that were were years apart and the first one Augie and I were like oh we, you know this is this is weird and then the second one we're like oh this is orval and it's like nope they're both orval like it yeah. it was just kind of fun that way um and and I think the brewers and our guests are surprised as well because they're not always thinking about you know the beer that they bring on and and it's been amazing to me that somebody says like they brought on a peanut butter porter and they're like you know I'm surprised that there wasn't a lot more peanut butter that you guys weren't getting you know peanut butter off of this and it's like yeah, like if we don't know that it's there and it's not hitting you over the head with it. Yeah. And, you know, like sometimes these things can actually be lost. The power of suggestion, I think is the biggest thing that,
0: I, that I've that i learned. Taking taking your, you know, you're an author. Yeah. Um, editor, um, journalist, uh, podcaster. Um, Rack on tour. Yeah. <laughs> jack of all trades. And have done everything. Each in pretty pretty much each and every kind of media source there is in, in the beer world. Yeah, what's missing, and what? Oh, nine hours from now. Uh, no, what what's missing? What what do, what do you see dying that should still be like it, like? What portion do you see like you're doing the podcasting thing is getting big. Um, journalism seems to be something that uh, is lacking. Not necessarily that there isn't good journalism. There's just not enough of it. Um, where do you see you know what I mean? The good and the bad coming with, uh, with beer media and beer journalism and beer media in general.
1: I, I think in the same way that I was talking about brewers needing to be technically tra- trained or going to schools uh, or always striving to do better, I think we need more of that on every level of beer media. I think first and foremost, and and, and I'm really clear about this. I'm not in the beer industry. I cover the Mm -hmm. beer industry, but I'm not in the beer industry. And so, I think that's the first thing: is that if you are clear separation. Yeah, I think because I think that it 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 helps my coverage at least um, be a little bit more intellectually honest. You know, it's yes, I work for a magazine that takes uh, advertising. You know, from brewers and suppliers and everything else in between there is a separation of church and state on that, that I, I don't have anything to do with the advertising thing. And so, you know, back when I was at All About Now, if I'm at the magazine now, if 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 there is a need to write a critical piece about a brewery, you know, if somebody really screws up or something like that, I have the ability to do that without me worrying about, you know, ruining a financial relationship. And that's that's really important because I think that, you know, the, you know, the brewers that I come across and meet, I can be friendly with, but I'm not really friends with, you know, with, with with folks because like if they turn around and do something, you know, really shitty, you know, I'm going to have to write about that. And, and I can't get that call of like, Oh, but I thought we were friends. It's like, yeah, but I have a responsibility to, to the listeners, to the readers, to, to, to everybody else that I'm doing. And so I think that that's thing. One that needs to happen is the people who are providing the content need to think about themselves as not necessarily industry cheerleaders or mouthpieces, or uh, you know, furthering uh, a narrative, but actually being critical thinkers and saying, you know, wow, this beer actually isn't all that great, even though it's coming from a really celebrated brewer. You yeah. know, like like recognizing that sometimes the emperor has no clothes and. And then I also think that we need more folks who are covering the industry, and this this, this comes from uh, what what readers and listeners should be demanding as well. You know, demand better out of us. You know, anybody can. Review a beer and give their opinion, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a thousand beer review sites, you know, that are out there. And there's folks like you who give a lot of thought to it, who do it really well. You know, there's folks like, you know, at, at, at the magazines that I've worked for, where we have, you know, blind processes, and we have people who have uh, great palates, we hope that, you know, give honest, intellectual feedback to these things. And then there's other folks who get, you know, beer for free in the mail from a brewery, and they're like, wow, this is really great from Brewery yeah. X. Thanks for sending it to yeah. me. I recommend you all go out and buy this. Yeah. And the rest of us who do it, you know, honestly, are like, "Like what, like, it's what were th- you drinking? It's the it's it's same deception. thing.
0: As, it's the same thing as that brewer down the street that's independent that sucks dragging everybody else down. Kind yeah. Of thing. You know what I mean? You have to, you know what I mean? Like you said, like, you, you can't just say stuff is good for the sake of just like you said being a cheerleader you have to have you need to know what you're talking about but at the same time you have to have critical thought and you touch on this in a book too is knowing the difference between a good beer and a beer you don't like
1: sure and that's a big thing and so i think you know just on your writing point we need more writers people who are covering this industry yeah this is kind of fun uh, i've been waiting to open this for a while so thanks for letting me this is grand teton's double vision bourbon barrel aged lager from 15
0: I someone calling 11% burn barrel aged beer lager. I mean, it's lager, <laughs> probably. So, so it's yeah. true, but. Yeah, it's, <laughs>
1: uh, you know, styles, styles don't mean anything anymore. Um, but we need folks to actually dive into specific parts of the industry. You know, everybody wants to cover, and I, I I grew up as a general assignment reporter, right? So one day I'd be covering a fire in Newark, New Jersey. The next day I'd be covering, you know, uh, uh, spotted owls down in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, you know, and then I'd be jumping over to Atlantic City to write about Jersey the casino industry all the time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, writing about the casino industry or then covering gubernatorial races or Senate races or, you know, local politics or homicides or whatever it was. And so, I didn't have a regular beat. And, you know, so my skill was what's happening right now in this moment, put it together in a clear, concise way and go from there. And mm-hmm. that's still what I do, you know, these days is, you know, here's a trend that's happening. Here's what's happening in this industry. I know how to make the calls. I know how to do all of that. If I was tasked like some of the guys who do the Brewers Association's books on like Fal Allen just did one on Goza or, you know, John Mallett's Malt book or, you know, Stan Hieronymus's Hop books, I would be so like shit out of luck because like I, I'd have to spend years learning how to do that, uh, how to how to cover that industry or how to get into the nitty gritty of that industry and to know it as deep as possible. And I'd love to see, and this is the editor in me talking, more writers Finding a niche, finding a beat and covering that, you know, like Stan covers hops better than anybody else because Stan knows hops as a writer better than anybody else. But, you know, there's not a ton of people covering yeast or getting into the yeast yeah. industry or malt or even water for for example, or, you know, like somebody who can write on authority on you know brute IPA or whatever else is out there these days and is has their finger on the pulse of What is happening day in and day out in that industry in the same way that we have, you know, White House reporters and congressional reporters and folks who work sources and work a beat and who continuously push the ball forward with interesting, captivating stories from their area of expertise. So we need more of that both in podcasts uh, and certainly uh, in writing as well.
0: No, I mean, that makes sense. I never really thought about it that way because – when I sit here, I actually like it's oddly enough, you know, I mostly do like stuff in video format, but I do podcasts, but I prefer reading. You no, know, when sure. it comes to uh, my major consumption of, uh, about anything, even though I didn't listen to the audiobook version of your thing, which let's, let's talk I about was, that I real quick. I was gonna let's I talk was, about that real quick. Yeah, all right. Uh, what was your what was behind your decision to narrate your own audiobook? Uh, they asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said yes. Okay. Um, but well, it's a cool you, experience how did, how did you feel you, you you did I have a very I think you I think you learned along the way and I think it's very readily apparent in the actual uh, video book itself yeah did I
1: start off uh, stiff and then get a little bit better or worse yeah okay
0: oh you got way way better okay not that you were horrible from begin uh, to begin with but it was a little bit more uh, enunciated you were thinking about enunciation and pronunciation thanks as opposed to uh, it ended up being I noticed towards the end I'm like wait a minute I'm like he's having a conversation and I happen to be listening now as a Opposed to reading from lines from a book.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a it's a really weird thing of and I had to stop myself a bunch of times and uh, I had this great engineer uh, uh, Charles who was working on the, uh, uh, the the in the audio booth there uh, and he was really great about stopping me sometimes and saying you're going too fast or you know can we take this word over again there's a lot of uh, as, as a writer I haven't really worried about uh, pronunciation of some things but you know mm-hmm. like uh, uh, acetylaldehyde like you know like I had to take like nine times because <laughs> you know like um, and then occasionally like my jersey would come out a little bit where you're going know, to be doing a lot of the dems nose, which uh, I, I try not to do uh, sometimes. And then um, uh, I actually caught myself in the, the South Jersey pronunciation of water at some point, calling it water, which I was really surprised to hear myself like say that. And I was like, oh, we need to take that again. I can't. I can't. I can't do that. Um, you know, it, it it's a weird thing to one, read my own words uh, out loud and then two um, to do it in a way I, I, I think that by the end of it I did get what they were looking for, but it was a weird it was a weird process for me because it's something that uh um I can I can sit here and, and go off the cuff with you, but when mm-hmm. you have to read it exactly how it's written. And yeah. there's some weird sentences that don't always translate into the spoken word, at least in the way that I write. And so I was catching myself on a few things now and again, uh, and getting frustrated at times. And if mm-hmm. you if you have to take something over, um by the fourth time you're doing it, there's this level of frustration of just this embarrassment almost mm-hmm. of like, why can't you say this? And then, you know, you know that you're on somebody else's time, you know, if this engineer is, is, is in here working on this thing and you know, like he has to listen to me, you know, uh, sputter over a, a fairly easy sentence because I can't get my own diction right. You know, it, 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 by the end of it, I was a little bit more comfortable, certainly. So, so um, I hope if anybody does download it, uh, that they, they, put up with me until no, at least like no, chapter or whatever I kick in I yeah. honestly
0: urge people to do it I, like because I made a conscious decision like I said you, more times than not I'll actually I do love podcasting, and I like audiobooks but more yeah. times than not I'll like to read something the stuff that I end up reading nine times out of ten not even nine times out of ten 99.9 times out of ten you're not going to get the author to read the book. And I thought it would be a good practice to get the person that actually wrote the words to read them because I think sometimes you do get a little bit of context lost in words. You know what I mean? There's inflections that aren't there that should be there that maybe don't come off in the written words sometimes unless it's written really well. Honestly. Yeah. Uh,
1: and there's, you know, there's certain things where if I'm using italics in the book that I can actually, you know, put it in my own yeah. voice uh, as well. Um, I did listen to a couple, I don't listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I did listen to a couple before, you know, I started. And then there's some that are very, you know, in 1988, yeah, you know, John Hall opened up Goose Island Beer Company in Chicago, and it's it's very it's very still. <laughs> I know what fair. book you. I listened um, to that one too. I yeah, no, I, uh, I, 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 I don't know if Josh did his or not, but um, uh, no, but they asked me if I wanted to do it, and and the cool thing is, is that um. One, as, as, as an author, it's kind of a fun thing to do. It's this, this, this tack on like the work is done. Although it was also fun because we're still in final edits and I actually did catch a few things where I was like, Oh, that needs to change. And so, you know, in breaks, I'm sending, uh, my, my editor on the project a a note saying like page 110 paragraph two, line one, third word needs to change to this. Like things like that, like very minutiae details, um, which came from reading the book out loud, which was, which was helpful. Um, And the cool thing is, is like Hachette has, um, uh, so many different books that are out there and I was in the same studio that Bill Clinton recorded his latest uh, book with James Patterson you know really? uh, Clinton had been in the studio uh, a couple of weeks before me sitting in the exact same chair working with the exact same guy and I said to to Charles like you're the great leveler like you could be you know a professional drinker or the former president of the United States but we all have to listen to you if you say take this over again he' yeah. like you are like, like it's it's, it's a, this very humbling <laughs> thing I was thinking of uh, uh, the The Grim Reaper and Bill and head too you know you may be a king or a lowly street sweeper but sooner or later you'll dance with the reaper it's like you know this is this is kind of cool and uh, one of the days that i was i was doing it uh, uh neil patrick harris was recording his audio book uh in another studio there it's Classic. like yeah and it's like all these people lining up outside of his studio like where are the you know the yeah. people for me it's, i brought beer it's uh so it's fun it's um it's 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 a cool thing we spent too much time on that. Good Lord. Thank no. God for edits. No, well. No. Edits, <laughs> edit,
0: edits make the world go round, man. If I didn't have an edit button, I'd mm. probably get my ass kicked. Um, So uh, this is going to go up on a Wednesday the 12th. Okay. Um, which would be this Wednesday. Great. Right, we're going to put it up. Um, are you going to be doing anything book signing-wise? going to be out and about kind of doing anything with the book?
1: Yeah. Uh, just go to johnhall.com. J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L.com. Okay. And see uh, where you're going to be at. Yeah, I'll be... You know, at various places, I'll be at the Great American Beer Festival, uh, doing some stuff, and then, uh, throughout the Northeast and, uh, all manners of places. But, uh, but yeah,
0: if, if you
1: see me, come on out and,
0: and we're after uh, looking to pick up the book. Just uh, it's it's
1: on where all fine books are sold. If you if you walk into your local bookstore uh, and ask for it, uh, they can order it for you if they don't already have it in stock. And shame on them if they don't. Uh, or you can go to the uh, internet behemoth uh, that's out there as well and uh, have it delivered by drone within twenty minutes, uh, oh. which is also great. Or there download the audio book and and have it instantly.
0: It's called Dulcet Tones, baby. Dulcet, dulcet Tones, tones. <laughs> <laughs> and in. Going forward, you guys doing anything interesting at the magazine or this beer? Oh, like that? No, but I thought it airs. You're doing the this beer uh, live show. But yeah, that's gonna be pat- the live show is going
1: to be fun. Yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to that. We're hoping to have some of our uh, uh, some of our our friends come by and uh, heckle us, and uh, you know, we'll 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 see if that's the if that's the future of of podcasts or not, uh, or some of these live shows. But it's fun to get together with people and drink beer. Um, you know, in the magazine uh, again, go to beerandbrewing.com because I'm a big fan of you know what we're doing there and. Uh, diving into a lot of the stories that brewers are doing and the ingredients and the way that the, these folks are incorporating the stuff uh, has been a, a really fun uh, fun challenge for me in the last couple of years uh, last year, or so working at the magazine. and um, you know again, if we're talking about supporting journalism and supporting uh, people who are you know telling good things about beer um, or honest things about beer, uh, uh, really, uh, that's the place to start.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, dude. Hey, thank you. I talk longer. I just want to shut up and drink this double vision. No, this is, this, kind of, is, this is, yeah, like, this, this is, is, is wheelhouse for me.
1: Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been <laughs> sitting on this beer for, for, for quite a while. And, uh, uh it's always fun when, when folks come over, I, I don't drink at home, uh, all that much unless like I'm, uh, testing beers. And if so, like it's, it's. You know, pretty quick and even few and far between these days. So, like, when somebody actually comes to the house, it's like, Ooh, I've been waiting to open this for a
0: while and he'll like that, I hope, or, you know, or we'll dump it. So, yeah, another reason to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do one a week now. Uh, but thank you very much, dude. Thank so you. Hope- Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the conversation. Uh, like I said, check out John, John, is JohnHole.com. Yeah. And uh, check him out, uh, uh, author. Journalist, podcaster, extraordinaire, editor, the whole nine, jack of all trades, old beer um, provider. Just and, a guy. Uh, uh, yeah, if you enjoyed the show, do the whole likes and um, and uh, stars and all that fun stuff and check us out. If you have any questions for John, you can reach out to him. Or if you have any questions for us, you can reach us at massivebeers at gmail.com. And hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. And see you next time. Nice right. time. Cheers.